Welcome to Power Plays, a CoBank Knowledge Exchange podcast series, an audio program where we connect you with top energy and environmental innovators and policymakers who share their insights, experience, and market observations. Hello, I'm Terry Vishwanath. I'm the lead economist for Power, Energy, and Water at CoBank. I'm joined today by co-host and CoBank Managing Director Tamara Reynolds. Hi, Tamara. Hi, Terry. Do you recall a few months back when we hosted an electric vehicle webinar for our electric co-ops and most of the questions that we received in the chat box revolved around batteries? Yeah, nearly all the questions revolved around batteries. And if we think about what's happening right now, the semiconductor chip shortage has affected new vehicle supply and has caused used car prices to climb. We know that U.S. automakers have promised a lot of electric cars, and there are a few experts that are currently warning there may not be enough batteries for all those new models. A known challenge for batteries is the availability of materials. We know lithium is abundant, but in the time frame that we need to scale up a battery supply chain, there might be problems ahead, challenges that aren't much different than what we're currently experiencing with the chip shortage. For today's episode, we wanted to take a look at the changes occurring in the battery upstream market, the steps manufacturers might be taking to reduce price and ensure that ample batteries exist for what might be an explosion in consumer demand. For this discussion, Tamara and I invited Simon Price back to our program. As you might recall, Simon is the CEO of Exawatt, and that's a global research and advisory group that specializes in energy storage technologies. Here's our discussion with Simon. Simon, welcome back to our Power Plays Tech Corner. And just remind me, why is it we're talking about batteries again? Uh, well, firstly, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Um, I, I guess the real the real issue is, you know, if we want to combat climate change, we have to decarbonize everything. And to do that, we need renewable energy generation, uh, including solar, PV, and wind. And we need energy storage. So we need somewhere to put that energy when we generate that energy from renewables, so it's available when we need it. And that's where the batteries come in. So how do we bring down the cost for batteries and scale up global manufacturing so that we're producing affordable batteries to meet the need ahead? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we need really from those batteries is is low cost, high performance and reliability in varying degrees, depending on the application. And the first thing to note is that there really isn't a one size fits all solution for batteries. There are at least two categories to consider as we look to the future. So one is batteries for electrified transportation, so EVs. And the other is batteries for terrestrial energy storage. And the technology types and cost pathways that those batteries might follow could be very different. So if we're looking at electric vehicles, the biggest factor is probably energy density. So it's how much battery capacity you can fit into a given volume or mass. So cost is important for EVs, but not at the expense of energy density. But with stationary storage, cost is the key. And that comes from two factors, really. The first is the upfront cost of the battery itself or the battery system. And the second is how reliable the battery is, how long it lasts in the field. So if we look at solar PV, which we talked about last time I was on, solar farms are rated to last 25 years, maybe more. So ideally, if you had a solar plus storage solution, the batteries in that solution would last the same time as the panels. But today, they almost certainly don't last that long. So let's take a moment to discuss some of the challenges with continuing to lean on lithium as our main technology source at this point. Well, I guess one of the big challenges 
is the availability of materials. So lithium is an abundant material in the earth. There's no shortage of it. But in the time frame that we need to scale up our battery supply chain, it may be, as a way, maybe it's very likely to be difficult to get the amount of lithium we need out of the earth or the sea and uh, refine it and get it into those batteries. So just scaling up the supply chains themselves is a challenge on the lithium side. And then elsewhere in the battery, depending on the application, there are other critical materials. So you may be aware of cobalt uh, as a conflict mineral. There's been challenges uh, relating to that. You know, it can only be mined in certain parts of the world um, uh, where um, human rights are, are not paramount, let's say. That can, that's a definitely a challenge. Um, some of the other abundant materials in the battery include nickel. And nickel is also abundantly available, but it's, you know, the battery industry is going to need a lot of nickel, or at least it is for the, for the EV side of the battery uh, picture. So scaling up those supply chains is going to be a challenge. And you, when you think about the future price walk and what it might look like from a manufacturing perspective, say over the next maybe two, five, 10 years, you know, I'd like to kind of think about the conversation we had on solar panel manufacturing. Do you see the same sort of price environment unfolding? How is it different? If you look at solar PV today, the cost of a solar panel is dominated by the materials in it the solar PV industry had been on a kind of 10-year rapid cost reduction path where the cost of the materials in the panel had been coming down dramatically, but the performance of those panels hadn't improved a great deal. So if you think about the figure of merit that we use for, for assessing PV module cost, which is dollars per watt, dollars per watt of rated module power, that cost reduction in dollars per watt was being driven by the dollars and not by the watts. Now, in 2015, the PV industry kind of started to turn a corner because we realized that the materials costs were not going to be coming down at the same rate in the future. And so we forecast that the way out of that, that corner, if you like, was to focus on improving performance. So improving the watts that the panel could generate, the power the panel could generate without uh, increasing cost. Focusing on the technology rather than the cost. Yeah, it's focusing on technical improvements, technological improvements, rather than supply chain improvements to a large extent. Now, if you go back over to the battery side and you think about where we are, you know, today, um, something like 60, 70 percent of batteries are probably made in China. And those supply chains are already at very large scale. I mean, we'll, in 10 years, we'll look back and we'll say that the scale was tiny compared to where it's going to be. But there are actually, you know, there are many gigafactories in the world now. There are, the supply chains for batteries are, are large and they are maturing. And a lot of the easy cost wins that you get from scaling up have already been achieved. We can't migrate to China because we've already gone to China. So we, we can't scale up because we've already scaled up. So we have to improve the performance of those batteries and we have to select materials that are earth abundant, so widely available, that can be refined at low cost, and that deliver high performance. The materials coming down, like our, our solar, right, coming down over the past 10 years, we've already got that material, I, I guess, cost reduction, right? One thing I, I, I should have mentioned is that, you know, coming down the price curve, you know, 10 years ago, batteries were costing, you know, $1,000 per kilowatt hour of, of, of capacity. 
And that's gone down to, you know, not much above $100 per kilowatt hour now. Um, and, you know, the, the projections out to 2030 call for a kind of 50% reduction. And, uh, and, and you know, there are uh, even more aggressive forecasts or goals or targets out there, including the USDOE's uh, projection or, uh, let's say, hope that in 10 years, the cost of long duration storage will be reduced by 90%. Um, so, so that really illustrates just how far the cost has come down, but maybe uh, gives us pause when we think, can it really be reduced by another 90%? I want to switch gears slightly, and I want to talk a little bit about the consumer concerns around batteries, and then also you know, hear a little bit more about recycling. I would say batteries uh, in EVs today are... Um, there, are, there are some concerns, and they certainly get amplified in the press about whether they're safe. I think, uh, to a large extent, we can say that they they are safe. Um, they, the chemistries inside them certainly aren't inherently safe. So mainstream high-energy density batteries that you will get in most electric vehicles, the chemistries inside those batteries are not inherently safe. But the architecture of the battery systems so this, the, the casing you put on them and the safety mechanisms you put around them make them safe. If you go a little bit further down the road, uh, new generations of battery technology, uh, such as solid state batteries, are inherently safe. But one of the things that, that, that may happen is that the, because they're inherently safe, they don't need to be as, uh, as encased in safety features and, and, and uh, robust casing. So you can actually reduce the size of those batteries further. And that contributes to this increased energy density and this performance that we talked about. When it comes to recycling, there's, there's some really interesting issues here. So batteries that go into electric vehicles are generally um, likely to be cycled out of the, of the vehicle industry one way or another when they hit about 80% of their rated capacity, which as I said earlier, is maybe over eight to 10 years or over several thousand miles of driving, you know, 100,000 miles, something along those lines. A battery that can cycle to 80% of its rated capacity still has a lot of value in other applications, particularly energy storage, stationary storage. So one of the challenges a few years from now for the stationary storage industry is, will it be possible or how will it be possible to produce and sell batteries that compete with essentially with secondhand batteries rolling out of used cars? It's going to be an opportunity for the uh, battery second life management industry, if you like, that will emerge, and an opportunity for for system installers of of uh, stationary storage batteries. But it may be a challenge for manufacturers of stationary storage batteries because they'll be competing against potentially low cost alternatives. Staying kind of with that consumer interest and consumer mindset, um, with the Ford F-150 Lightning offering uh, coming to the market, we might have what we consider a glimpse of the true connectivity that might exist between, um, between vehicles and stationary battery requirements. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I think more generally, we'll see well, more and more of this coming because uh, in power electronics terms, it's not a great leap to replace the current charging, um, the onboard charger of an electric vehicle 
which is currently in most cases what we might call unidirectional. In other words, when you charge your car, you plug it in and the power goes from the chart from the outside to the inside into the car. It's not uh, a great leap to replace that onboard charger with a bidirectional charger that you can then hook up to, to uh, essentially to the grid or to the house and send power in the other direction, much as the, the F-150 is pointing in that direction, right? So the next generation of vehicles, or maybe the generation after next, but only you know two or three years away, most likely, will have bidirectional onboard chargers that will enable you to connect them to the grid. So you could imagine you know, living in a house with solar panels on the roof that charge the car, because the car in most households sits there doing nothing for 95% of the time, using that, that uh, expensive battery that you paid for along with your vehicle as a, as a store for the energy that you're generating cheaply now from your roof, and then giving it back up to the house when it's needed. And not only would it go back to the house, but in principle, it could go back to the grid. So you can actually uh, turn your car into a source of value by selling energy back to the grid when it's required. So when everybody comes home from work and they all put their microwaves on or their, their ovens or whatever it might be, or the TVs or whatever, whatever else, at that moment, the grid spikes and the value of electricity goes up, using that kind of latent uh, EV fleet as a grid resource keeps value back in the community in a sense because it allows you as an EV owner to, to, to sell that energy back. I want to talk about from a stand, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, what should we look for, especially out of Axawatt, and what are you focused on with regard to that horizon? So we're focused at the moment on two areas, really, in, in our battery cost forecasting. The first is looking at two different technologies for energy storage, for stationary storage. Uh, one is uh, sodium iron, so I-O-N, so replacing the lithium with sodium and using the sodium iron as the, as the carrier, as the current carrier, if you like, in the battery. Uh, sodium is heavier than lithium, so those batteries have lower energy density. But as we all know, sodium is abundant. It's in table salt. So we believe the performance of sodium ion has more room to improve. So we're keeping an eye on that. And we're comparing sodium ion, I-O-N, with lithium ion phosphate. That's I-R-O-N. And lithium ion phosphate is, uh, is an, is, it uses the lithium as the, as the ion, the, the current carrier. But instead of nickel, which is expensive, it's replaced with iron. And that makes it cheap. Iron is abundant and it's cheap. Now, again, the energy density is lower than for a, for a high energy density nickel-rich lithium battery. But it's inherently safe. Uh, it's cheaper. And in, in stationary storage, we think it, it could have applications, depending on how well sodium iron goes. But in uh, transport, it can also have applications where energy density is less critical and cost is more critical. So things like um, buses or uh, commercial delivery vehicles where performance isn't critical, cost is, is critical, and you know maybe range isn't always the key, but you need to get the cost of those batteries down and the reliability and the long cycle life so that those batteries, so that those cars and their batteries have a long lifetime in the field. So that's the first thing we're looking at. The second is solid state batteries. So it's comparing solid state batteries uh, with the current generation of batteries, which are usually referred to as wet electrolyte batteries. So a lot of the, electro the wet electrolytes that are used in batteries are, uh, can 
can um, evolve nasty gases, for example, if, if the battery is caught in a fire. You eliminate those kind of problems with solid state batteries. And you can also improve the energy density of the battery uh, for, for various technical reasons that are probably outside the scope of this conversation. Um, and by making them safe, you can also, as I said, you can reduce the amount of casing around the battery. So that's a kind of compounding benefit. There are lots of challenges with solid state. It's early days in the development of solid state batteries, but it's definitely in the sights of the car manufacturers because a uh, high energy density battery that's inherently safe is kind of the, the dream for a car. You know, if you could pack more battery capacity into a given space and weight, you make that car range longer. And if you can make it inherently safe, it's, it, you know, that's a good that's a good proposition for the customer and for for the manufacturer. Well, Simon, it's been a real pleasure having you back on our technology corner segment for Power Plays. I always enjoy talking with you and learning a little bit more about what's going on in the world of solar and batteries. So thank you for your comments and for your participation today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be involved. Terry, as the world seeks to reduce carbon emissions, partly by ramping up EV adoption, Demand is expected to soar for battery materials like lithium, cobalt, and nickel. There are going to be challenges in securing sufficient raw materials, and automakers that are currently grappling with a chip crisis might soon face a more entrenched supply chain bottleneck. The global auto industry is looking forward to an all-electric future, maybe the most profound turning point in a century for that industry. But as we discussed, there are definitely bumps in the road ahead. Once the most boring and neglected of all automotive parts, the battery, has become today's top priority and the main bottleneck for car makers. And the challenges or need for batteries to evolve doesn't revolve around only cars, but also for stationary battery storage. We oftentimes think about battery evolution as a single path, but Simon highlighted that there are definitely forks in the road ahead and there really isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for batteries. What we need from those batteries is low cost, high performance, and reliability in varying degrees depending on the application. That's right. I hope all of you have enjoyed our discussion with Simon and will listen in next month as we are joined on this program with our guests from Trico Electric Cooperative, a nonprofit electric distribution cooperative serving more than 45,000 members in rural areas surrounding the city of Tucson, Arizona. Trico has significant experience in solar power and has provided their members with an array of options from assisting with the interconnection of rooftop PV systems for homes and businesses to community solar and utility-scale solar access. It was fascinating to hear a first-hand account of how solar growth has exploded in Arizona. I hope you'll join us then.